Are you recording? Is this thing on? Yeah. Say the, yes or no. Yeah? <laughs> yes? Is that a yes? Yes, yes, yes. Well, so uh, guys, let's uh, introduce ourselves since we haven't done that yet. Yeah. Um, I'm David. Uh, I come to you uh, from Manhattan via Long Island. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm just so psyched to be here. This is a culmination of many, many years and... Uh, well, and, and so glad to be here with you you both, Jake and Rob. Introduce yourselves. Ditto. Yep, I'm uh, stoked to be here, part of the Tower team. I guess I'm the resident audio guy, pressing the record button, but uh, I'll keep it short and sweet and pass it over to Rob. Well said, Jake. I'm Rob. I hail from New York Presbyterian Hospital in the Upper East Side. I am a lover of music. I'm a vocalist, band manager, and also a part of the Tower team and excited to be here with you guys. Anyway, wow, I'm really glad to be here, guys. This is a culmination of many, many years. Uh, we're here. This is Pulse. It's yeah. a Tower Records production, and we're coming to you from Brooklyn in the Tower Lab space. Yes, sir. Well, to just kick things off, uh, we're going to be talking about a few things today. First of all, well, talking about Tower Records, talking about Caroline Rose, Yes, sir. Dropping a new album, March 24th, with an album release party right here at Tower Labs in Brooklyn. And we'll also be talking about a little new technology. uh, uh, Sonos is incorporated, a little Dolby Atmos. uh Uh Uh-oh. My favorite. We'll get there, though. But yeah, David, tell us us how we got here. Love this story. (laughs) What's Tower been up to? Well, uh, Tower Records, uh, as you all know, was uh, the largest music retailer in the world with over 200 locations around the world. And uh, we were privileged and blessed enough to bring back Tower Records a few years ago. So my first trip uh, on the road was to South by Southwest in Austin or South by. So I went there uh, about seven years ago and I went with a Tower Records shirt on, and I had, we had started selling a, uh, a leather uh, vinyl carrying case that carries like 14 vinyl records. And I walked around uh, Austin for three days with that T-shirt and that carrying bag around my sho- over my shoulder and a jib camera and filmed, um, well, I pretty much couldn't walk a city block in Austin without someone tackling me and saying, what the F are you doing with that shirt on and that bag and what's going on here? And I would just basically film them from there and ask them questions about their experience in, in Tower Records. Uh, I also had a great opportunity to uh, interview the great Nile Rogers from Chic, a uh, great guitarist and producer of 18 million albums uh yeah he we talked for about 10 minutes on camera and he waxed nostalgic about tower and uh going to the stores in new york and uh, he said boy you gotta do this you gotta you gotta bring it back uh musicians are dying to have you back um we need to make money again i was also uh, in a hotel lobby and um got the uh, an evil eye from uh, someone across the lobby and I'm looking at the guy and he's looking at me uh-huh. and uh, the, his manager comes over and he says, you know, uh, my uh, uh, I represent the gentleman over there you'd like to talk to is that, I don't know if you know Gra- Grandmaster Flash. I said, good God, I certainly do <laughs> know who Grandmaster Flash is. I was looking at him and he's looking at me. So yeah, I'll, you know, 
let's talk. And uh, so we wrapped out for about 20 minutes in the lobby. Um, and he was almost offended because he said, you can't be doing this. And I said, well, I mean, we own, we own Tower Records and we're bringing it back. Uh, and uh, just here to talk to everybody in the industry we can talk to. And he's like, well, you're talking to me. What can I do? What can I, what can I do to be a part of this? And I said, oh, we, <laughs> hang on. <laughs> so, um, but so, yeah, you know, came back home and uh, had that little uh, reel of uh, videotape that uh, we uh, talked about and watched. And just, uh, you know, that time was ripe. You know, we started seeing a real market trend and. And, and physical sales, especially vinyl, about seven years ago was just not even a trend. It just kept, yeah. it kept going up and up and up and up. And uh, so we had planned in 2020 a big uh, coming out party uh, at South by Southwest. Um, we had uh, a festival set up, a satellite festival on the east side of town with 40 bands around the world. 40 i didn't know that wow yeah and so it was a really big huge party that we we're getting ready for and then COVID hit so we uh we had to do the old pivot yeah. and um we opened we up all <laughs> and we opened up a shop online in uh may of 2020 and within uh half a year we became the number three uh retailer of physical music behind a couple of big names I shall not mention, one beginning with an AMA, ending with a Zahn, the other one starts with Wall, ends with Mart. No free press here, yeah. Take your guesses. <laughs> and, um, you know, we did that without any PR and without any ad buying, and it just showed uh, the real power yeah. of the brand. Um, you know, there's definitely a a real psychic connection with the with the brand and the fans and uh, that i think has everything to do with the tangibility uh of physical music mm -hmm. and holding that music and those liner notes and that copy and the beautiful art in your hand while you're listening to beautiful music and uh the connection to that music is uh much deeper than uh, you know a passive uh type of listening which um is also good, you know. We're definitely not here to uh, knock anyone in the industry. We're here to celebrate all aspects of the industry. Um, we know that uh, if music has the ability to touch the souls of millions of people, that's perfect music, uh, regardless of how we feel about it. <laughs> and, uh, and that goes for, um, well, we're going to be talking about technology on the show. We certainly are. Yeah. That's right. We're going to be talking about uh, some of the good, bad, and the ugly of being a performer in the industry. Um, we're going to talk about some of the solutions for those problems for the artists. We're going to also talk about industry news, and uh, we're going to be talking about what we're doing here at Brooklyn in the Tower Lab space. Yeah, it sounds like, just based off the story I've heard and the you know interactions I've had since I've started working with you guys, that this is a brand and... It's something that's very precious to a lot of people because, you know, Jake and I were late 90s kids, so we might not be able to fully grasp it as much as other people would. But before there was any Spotify, streaming services, anything like that, Tower Records was where people went not just to listen to their music, but to get their music and to experience it with other people. And I think, David, you feel the weight of that. And 
with whatever we do next, being able to carry that and use that and understand that people have such a love for what Tower was and what it could be, you know, it, it's definitely something special. And you were a purebred like Tower Records guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I lived there on release day, which used to be Tuesdays. Um, now it's Fridays. But um, yeah, I went to, you know, went to school in Manhattan. I went to Manus School of Music and I would live at that Lincoln Center location. And when I was feeling cool enough, went downtown to the 4th Street and Broadway location. And, you know, I think why I, I know why I fell in love with Tower Records and probably why so many others have fallen in love with Tower Records is because it, um, well, it was really a place um, where you could have your horizons and your your whole world opened up to something new. I can't tell you how many times I'd walk out and uh, have an album that I had no idea about and went home and it's now on, you know, my Desert Island disc list, you know. It was very special. Anyway, I could go for hours talking about Tower Records. Of course. And I think what's so great about it is whenever you bring up Tower to people who knew the old Tower, is they bring up the location they would go to or how would they, they would build Tower Records around their everyday life, you know? And I think a part, that's part of the reason why it's so special to people. And it really carries more than just a name or a brand or anything. It really carries a part of somebody's life. Yeah, and if any anybody's ever had a uh, uh, chance to uh, see any interviews with the founder, Russ Solomon, I mean, that guy was... Character. He was the best. I mean, he, he, he would give you so much freedom as a, uh, a, a store manager. So if you, you know, you were a store manager in, uh, in northern Jersey, you knew your customer best, so he would let you stock your store how you felt was best for the customers. So, you know, the Nashville store was completely different from the Sunset store and the Sunset Boulevard store was a bit different from the San Francisco store. They, those managers knew their customers best and, and, and Russ gave them that leeway to stock yeah. their stores as, as they saw fit. Yeah, it's, it's catered to the community around it. And I think watching the documentary about Tower Records, which is very well done, it's on YouTube. It's Russ always said that his kind of roots in terms of a staff and the people that work at Tower is centered around a sense of family in the sense of everyone being able to kind of conjoin at Tower Records and hang out and experience their music together. And I think that's why no matter where you were, whether Nashville, Sunset Boulevard, or Lincoln Center, you'd be feeling Tower Records in its entirety. And I think that's what's really special about it. And that's what, with whatever we do in the future, it's about capturing that same kind of feeling, that same kind of vibe and energy that millions of people have felt throughout the years at Tower Records. Yeah, and I also want to give a shout out to Michael Solomon and the whole Solomon family. We had Michael in here um, about a month or two ago. Russ's son? Yeah, Michael and, and Rob. You mentioned the documentary. Michael's in there, and we were just watching that yesterday, and um, I really put a smile on my face to, to see him walk in here and give us his blessing and see that he's he's happy with, with what we're doing and just stoked to see the brand back. And me personally, as Rob mentioned, we're 90s kids, but I... I have a couple memories of going to the Tower Records store when I was seven or eight years old by the uh, the Sherman Oaks Galleria in L.A. And uh, even even just walking in there one or two times, um, it, it holds a special memory in my heart. And it, to get to come here after school and, and come here to work every day, it's, it's something I don't take for granted. So 
Uh, couldn't be more excited about the things we have coming up. And one of those things is Caroline Rose. So David, I don't know if you want to jump into that. Yeah, we are super stoked and psyched to have Caroline Rose coming into the Tower Lab space this March 24th for her release date for The Art of Forgetting. Uh, we'll be having a short performance by Caroline and then some fans will be coming by for uh, an album signing and it's going to be awesome. It's, I, we've listened to a few singles from the new album, The Art Love of Forgetting. It. It's yeah, awesome. It's amazing. She's uh, taken on the dual role of a writer and producer yeah. on this album. It's like, it's got some awesome loops, some tape effects. Uh, I don't know. I love it, man. It's got this modern acoustic electronic uh, texture, a little lo-fi tape, a little high-fi granular synths. Yeah. It's awesome, and uh, it's going to be a great night for Caroline. Yeah. All right, well, let's, uh, let's change gears a little bit. That was a real sound effect. <laughs> that was not a plug-in. So, Rob, tell me, what did you? Uh, what was the first thing you put on your uh, hand headphones this morning when you woke up? Yeah. So I was when I was on my way down here today. Took the one train. Uh, other than Caroline Rose, obviously, I put on a little bit of Wilma, who we were, you know, just had in the space a few weeks ago. Love. Shout Wilma. out Wilma. Yeah. Wilma forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it called? Uh, television is a very good song of theirs. Mm. Saturday morning cartoons. Rips. Rips. Yeah. And let Tom me just Berlain. say, it sounds very pop rock, which I'm a huge fan of. It's very well recorded, but the live version of these songs with Wilma is, was very rock oriented, which is something I kind of enjoy where some people want to go to shows and really just experience kind of their own. Sometimes they want to hear the studio version as, you know, lined up as possible in a live sense but they truly just make the live experience something that is entirely different from their recorded songs for uh, those of you who don't know wilma w-i-l-m-a-h uh local brooklyn byway of buffalo <laughs> man i they played here the labs uh about a month ago and man it was just a great time and they have such an awesome community of fans so please check them out folks yeah shout out shout out wilma also shout out gooseberry these two bands we've brought in um for for a few different things here in our soft launch phase and just want to give them both a shout out and some love because uh they're both young local bands in the brooklyn area and we love what they're doing and uh we're definitely gonna have them in here quite a few more times moving forward. Yeah, Definitely. Uh, we're you know we're going to be a showcase for the majors and for emerging acts and for independents as well. Um, uh, we do not discriminate here. Uh, no, the only thing you discriminate is, is me because you didn't ask me what I listened to this morning. Ah, Jake. Yes. What did you listen? What what well, what was the first yeah, thing you yeah. listened to this morning besides your South Park clips? Yeah. <laughs> We'll save that. We'll save that for another episode too. Um, I actually listened to the Master Plan by uh, Oasis. I actually showed Rob, David. I, don't, I think I showed you some clips, but Supersonic. My brother tried to get me to watch the the Oasis documentary for like two years, and I Such just I, I just kept rolling my eyes. I'm like, stop. And then over the holidays, he, I finally sat down and watched it with him, and I'm obsessed not even just the music like them their personalities they are hilarious oh entirely yeah. electric the brothers don't talk to each other anymore as most of the listeners probably know except but. on twitter 
<laughs> except on Twitter, Liam just chirping Noel ruthlessly. Um, yeah, I showed Rob the document. And Rob, similar to me, was like, dude, like, I don't want to watch this. I'm like, trust me. And then like five minutes into it, we were both hooked. So, Oh, yeah. You know, I think a lot of people, if they didn't know, would just be like, when the fuck is Wonderwall going to come up in this yeah, thing? Yeah, no, they are yeah. so much uh, more than just Wonderwall in a lot of different ways. And uh, um, the, the master plan is actually interesting because Noel sang it. Liam sings, I think, like 99% of their stuff, but... Noel actually sang this one, and I I thought I heard it. I went on Wikipedia to confirm, but there's actually 30 seconds left in the fade out. You can hear Noel singing, I'd Like to Be Under the Sea. Shout out wow. to uh, Ringo. That's another good track. But David, what did you listen to? I was listening to uh, the Chicago Symphony under Sir George Salty doing... Um, um, Prokofiev's Romeo and Juliet. I'm excited to listen to this because, uh, David, you know, and whenever I come across one of your suggestions on Apple Music, I, I get excited if it's been mixed in Dolby Atmos. Now, this is one of the most controversial areas. Now, it's nerdy, but uh, of the technical audio production side of the music industry right now is right. whether it's there's a lot of different umbrella terms here there's well, immersive audio dolby atmos spatial audio what do binaural no dolby most people know dolby through movies, movies right? right in the yeah. movie theater and that's where it started dolby atmos started about a decade ago as a format for an evolution of surround sound and um and then it went into gaming went movies gaming and then about for around 2017, um, the major labels started working to remix and master their catalog music and new music in this new immersive format. Now, it is extremely conscious, and I get both sides of the arguments. Wait, the controversy, though, is mostly coming from audiophiles, right? Yeah, I'd say so because the only they're the only ones who really even care enough to complain. And because they, they're saying because they didn't involve the original engineers in the remixing that's, process, that's, right? That's one of the that's one of the criticisms, but it's also uh, for the most part inaccurate because Dolby Atmos. If you see Dolby Atmos next to a, a, a track, it means it has Dolby Atmos mixes are done from the ground up. Now Apple came in and introduce spatial audio which we don't want to get too technical on day one here but it it's it's controversial i guess beyond whether just it, whether it's been a new mix or not it's controversial because does it sound better or worse and that depends on a lot of different things mm -hmm. rob i've sh i've given you demos on the airpods over the weekend we were listening on my my sonos um not a huge lavish set it's not a hundred thousand dollar surround setup you know i hope people aren't shutting this off talking about this because david i mean when i first met you you maybe had some preconceived notions about it yeah I, because i think my experience with dolby atmos and i you know um as a on-the-go um, music consumer I, I i opt for um apple music and kobu's I don't know how to say that. 
It's the French I've outfit. I've never even heard of it. They're really Just amazing. Apple. Highest resolution <laughs> streaming out there. Um, <laughs> but when I listened to um, the, my first experiences with Dolby Atmos, I made a point to listen to music I am most familiar with. And so uh, that being, um, you know, oh boy. Don't hate me, folks. Rush. I was a big Rush fan as a kid. So I put on Moving Pictures, you know, one of my favorite albums by Rush uh, that I uh, know like the back of my hand. And what I experienced, and I don't know if this is because it's analog Mm -hmm. recording, um, and and I found it with most analog recordings that had Dolby Atmos, I found that all the, um, you know, you call them stems, we would call them... Multi-channel. Right. uh, Multi-channel. Tracks. tracks yeah yeah i would f- i find all the tr- uh instruments and tracks stems mm-hmm. whatever you want to call them super present like mm. they're all evenly present um and it, it makes for a very vivid li- listening experience um i felt like maybe it just takes a little bit of the humanity out of the performance as far as give and take of uh, volume levels and um but I, that now again, I, I, I'm only giving the example of you know recordings in the '70s. Well, and, let me explain that. You know, the, the key here is, and, and there was a lot of flack on Atmos and spatial audio when it first came out. And it, from what you're describing to me, it sounds like a bad mix. Mm. This is a brand new format, and um, when it first came out, engineers were learning. The best engineers in the world, I'm talking guys who have won Grammys, were learning this from scratch. And to still, it is inconsistent. It gets better every month, every year. Um, it, it gets better and more consistent. But coming out the gate, I'm talking 2019, 2020, and a lot of those mixes were done 2018-ish. Mm. During covid you know, Apple Music launched spatial audio, I believe, in the summer of 2021. So all those mixes were being done in COVID. I remember Steve Genowick, they, they all, all the guys at Capitol, they had to go home and bootleg their own setups from their living rooms. And they're simultaneously trying to learn how to, uh, this new format that you can't, again, I don't want to get into technical um, areas of it, but it, it, was it's still a consistency translation you might they they might hear it it sounds great on their system and then you're listening to it on a headphone that was just built for atmos and there was no way for them to even hear it on that so these are the hiccups that engineers still are dealing with but it's it's getting there and it's just a result of new technology and things evolving so rob tell us about your first experience listening to it yeah well what i really enjoyed about you know Atmos, spatial audio, whatever you want to say about it, is it allows you to kind of listen to songs that I've listened to before in just a completely different way and a completely new lens that almost emphasizes certain instruments and kind of rebalances the song in general. And I think that's where a lot of people can feel a little bit hesitant or standoffish is, especially with their music, people are very precious to what they experienced mm-hmm when they experienced it and it's just it associates a lot of memories and you know other things with their music so i think as they work out the technical riffs i think more of the hesitancy is going to come around just listening to a song that someone's known for the last 30 40 years in a completely new way right yeah and 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 i should i should maybe have led with this but a, a question i often hear from people who really aren't audiophiles they ask what's the point why would I want music 
in surround? And it's a great question. Um, I, it's, it's also funny that audiophiles are so against it because audiophiles are also and many times the people who are so passionately against overcompressed music. You're saying audiophiles, audio fans, audiophiles. Yes. Is that like a is that like oh, a term? Yeah. Like a cinephile. It is it, a okay. audiophile is a term. Uh, teach me. For, um, it, it's people who uh, David, you describe an audiophile. Are you, do you consider yourself an audiophile? Absolutely okay. not. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I've consider what I, I would say an audiophile is someone who spends eight thousand dollars for speaker cables. And claims, <laughs> there you to, go. claims to hear the difference. Well, I can't afford well, that. Well, let's not badmouth audio uh, No, no, I, I'm sorry. Big, but but I because mean, I, I, I might do that another next day. Next week, mobile fidelity. <laughs> no, no, there, Controversy. Listen, we're all for the best musical experience, and I think that's fundamentally what everyone wants. Um, audiophiles, and, and a lot of people in general, you know, you'll hear music today all sounds the same. And I think a lot of that is that production. Stereo music has existed. Stereo music was kind of in the same phase where we are now with immersive audio, probably around the 40s, 50s, stereo was coming on. And I'm sure there were hiccups when stereo was first introduced. And by the 60s, I think, it became the standard. So you're looking at about 60 to 70 years of music production being two-channel stereo. And I think the past, this is my own personal theory, but the past 10, 15 years, we've, kind of reached a, a pinnacle of what a stereo mix can consist. I mean, the music now is so well-produced and mixed. We've maximized what you can really, and this is debatable, but to me, I think we've, we've almost nearly maximized what we can do with a stereo mix. And what excited me five years ago when, when I first started learning about immersive audio and Dolby Atmos is that it opens up the door to new possibilities. There's more space. And more space mm -hmm. means more musical possibilities. There's going to be hiccups. There's going to be bad mixes. There's going to be translation issues where it sounds good on one pair of headphones and like garbage on the next. But that's the evolution. That's how technology evolves. And, yeah. and, and when there's more possibilities musically, it excites me from a creative standpoint of what I'm excited to see what artists can do with this. And some of the questions like, what's the point, I think will be answered over time when we've got new artists who come out with making music with this, the intention in mind that it's going to be put in this new format. Mm -hmm. You know, what's so interesting is that, uh, you know, we have people <clears throat> who will gladly pay upwards toward, uh, up towards 50 or $60 for a vinyl in mono. Yeah. And that's, you know, a fascinating thing to think about. <clears throat> there are audiophiles out there who believe mono recordings are the very best recordings possible because if you think about those recordings in mono, why were they recorded in mono? Mm. Because there was no such thing as two speakers, right? People were playing their vinyl on a player that had one speaker. Mm -hmm. That's why... You're recording in mono. That, that, that's what yeah. mono is. Mono is a, a direct uh, a recording of, uh, of uh, right. And look, I think that there's something to be said about that. 
I still listen to some Stones records and, and some Beatles song, The Doors, I see, you know, the mono version, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think the, the key thing there is it's not going to be the back catalog um, Atmos remixes and masters that, that push it forward. It's going to be the new albums and, and ultimately the artists that create with this in mind From that's really going to push it forward. Yeah. Because there is nothing wrong with Sgt. Pepper and Stereo. Yeah, and, and, and all this stuff is so subjective. I, I yeah, I remember I had a girlfriend who was a sommelier. She was a wine expert, wine master. She was the first female wine master, and I was so like overwhelmed by um, you know being introduced to wine. I, 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 how can you possibly tell the difference between this red and that red? And so she said, you know, you know, what do you like? Like, and that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Like. What do you like? If that's what you like, that's what's good. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 the last thing I'll I'll say on it as as engineers and producers get more familiar and, and skilled with mixing in this format, there are degrees to which you can I guess spatialize elements. Right. If you want it to sound very conservative and similar to a stereo mix, you can. Mm-hmm. If you want to make it go crazy and have shift fly behind you and above, you can. So, again, more possibilities is what you do with it. Yeah. And um, I'm I excited s- to see where it goes. Sorry, not to cut you off no, there, Jake. But I see a lot of parallels there with we were watching on Netflix, the This Is Pop series. I see a lot of uh, similarities with the integration of autotune back in <laughs> the late 90s, early 2000s. Back when it became a thing, a lot of people viewed it as cheating. And it was like, well, all, all these artists in previous generations weren't able to work from this standpoint, and everyone kind of stands on their soapbox, which is because, like David said, this is all subjective space, and music is so precious to people. Yeah. And, you know, eventually autotune went from something that people viewed as cheating to being viewed as a tool that you can use, yeah. like, for good or for bad, but it's essentially... Something that's just going to be a part of the overall ethos of music production. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but let's remember that, oh, maybe, I don't know, you guys, you, you, maybe two or three years we'll old, say. very first auto-tune, well, with, well, example, for an, it was an aesthetic. And which song? Cher. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's, that was Life the After Love, yeah. Yeah, and, and <laughs> you know, you I, I'm young? not a fan of auto-tune, but I can't deny that Cher's song, what's it called? What is it called? Do you believe in love? Do you, do you believe love? in love? Can you sing it? It, it, that is an example <laughs> of perfectly. Hey, hey that was in key. that's a, an example yeah. of um, perfectly written music. Why is it perfect? Because it had the ability to touch millions of souls, and you can't deny that. Whatever, whatever you feel about <laughs> that song or auto tune, right? Yeah, man, this is a whole bag of worms, and it might be a perfect place to pick up on can for can net. of worms. Can't. What oh, did yeah. I say? Your bag of worms. I don't know. That's not yeah. right. What? Ba- I don't know, man. Whatever. Can of worms. Wherever you put your worms is fine, Jake. But it's incorrect. All right. Well, on that Just note, that. thank you all so much for tuning in. And I guess next week we'll pick it up. You'll hear our thoughts on the good and bad of auto tune. So stay tuned. <laughs>